You're listening to a message brought to you by Christian Life Church Ross on Y. To find out more about us, go to www.clch.cc. We're in, a, we're in a series which starts last week, a five week series uh, called um, Prepare for Revival. And Andrew kicked off. We're basing it on the verse, uh, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14 If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So we've got five messages from that one verse. And we thought, wouldn't it be an amazing idea if uh, the elders preach one each? So I'm one of the elders at Christian Life Church. I'm usually up in uh, uh, Hereford. Uh, uh, with my wife Adriana, who's here today with me, uh, my children up in Hereford, Gabriella is playing in the worship band. Um, but we are elders over the whole church, three sites, Hereford, Ross and Lemster. And we thought, wouldn't it be great if we all pick a message and we all preach it in all three sites? Uh, so I'll be preaching this message uh, in all three sites and what Andrew preached Last week, he'll be also preaching in Hereford and Ross. What we didn't realize when we decided that, of course, we'll be preaching it out of order as it comes in the verse. But I think that will work, we hope. And so Andrew chose the the bit after the then, uh, the revival bit, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Well, I say he preached that, but did he? Good. Well done. Uh, so he preached the promise of revival. And before the then, after the if, between the if and then is, is our preparation, the con- conditions for revival to come. So uh, everybody chose their title and they left the one that they didn't want to preach to me. So I get to preach to you and tell you to turn from your wicked ways. <laughs> I don't know why nobody wanted to preach that. I'm looking forward so much to this. But interestingly, I was preparing, um, preparing yesterday and um, got a plan of where I wanted to go. And uh, then I felt not sure. I think there's something else. And last night we went out to an event for my daughter. And just before I went out, I grabbed a shower. And in the shower, I felt God say, preach these two stories from the New Testament. I thought, oh, all that preparation. But preach these two stories. And this morning, I felt God tell me why. Um, so I'm going to get to that in a moment. So the, in this verse the, in Chronicles, uh, I don't know how, what you think when, when you hear the message of repent, return from your wicked ways, um, whether you feel, not we're supposed to feel this, that we feel that I've got to butt my ideas up, we've got to do better. Anybody ever feel that? And I, and I don't think that's the intention of this verse. And we ask, am I doing enough? And so when we look at that verse, uh, we've got to humble ourselves, pray, seek God's face, and turn from our wicked ways. Do you ever ask yourself, am I praying enough? Anybody else ask themselves that? Am I seeking God enough? And how humble do we need to achieve? And how and how much turn from my wickedness. Is, are we looking for perfection? How much is enough? How much is enough? So I want to kind of answer that question today. How much is enough? Because 
It's a great promise, but do you not always have in the back of your mind, has it been enough? And then the question is, how much prayer is enough? Anybody know how much prayer is enough? Never enough. Well, I'm maybe if I get because I I have no idea where this is going today. I've just got two, uh, a few verses, but it, this could go a long, a long time. But let's let's. Um, the first story is in Mark two. Uh, so in this story, Jesus is in the house preaching, and I'm going to just summarize the story. And he's preaching away, and four guys bring a friend of theirs to the house. For him to heal. He's on a mat. He's paralyzed. He can't move. And uh, in this story, in the next one, we'll see what Jesus does. He, he says some things and does some things that are outrageous, they're illegal, or impossible. And this is one of the examples is this in this story. So uh, they bring this paralyzed man to see Jesus. They can't get in and so they go up on the roof, they take the tiles off the roof, and lower this paralyzed man before Jesus. And Jesus says something outrageous and probably illegal. He says to the man, your sins are forgiven. And they all, all the religious people there are outraged and say, he's blaspheming because only God can forgive sins. And then Jesus, he knows what they're thinking. He says something impossible. He says to the man, the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. He tells them something to do something impossible. Do you agree? That's impossible. I know that nothing's impossible for God. So he's, he's, he's said something outrageous and probably illegal in the eyes of the religious people, and something impossible. And uh, we see that in, in this story, and uh, what, what he... On the next story I'm going to read, he's actually jumping forward. It seems like he's jumping forward in time to post-resurrection. And the, the situation would be uh, after he's risen from the dead. Why can he say your sins are forgiven? Well, because he is God. But also because he knows that in a, in, in, in a short time from that, uh, that story, he was going to pay the price for that sin. He was picking up the tab for that paralyzed man picking up his tab for his sin. And he was announcing that before he'd actually paid the price, but he paid the price. And he also was announcing the, the coming of the miraculous, which is always in the Bible, but come with the Holy Spirit, more the impossible happened. Second story, we'll read this one from um, John chapter 8. I think some of you will know this story as well. So, uh, I'll, I'll start from verse 2. John, 8, chap, uh, John chapter 8, verse 2. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, this is Jesus, where all the people gathered round him. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, 
If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who, had, who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the women standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and now and sin no more. So, again, Jesus is uh, kind of breaking the law. The law was clear that this woman should be stoned. And he, Jesus, kept the law. Yeah? He fulfilled the law. He never broke the law. He uh, kept it. And yet, at this time, he, he is as though he was jumping to the, the resurrection. When you read the New Testament, it says that Jesus is the end of the law. The law was abolished when Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah? The law was abolished. We as Christians are free from the law of the Old Testament. Yeah, hallelujah. So we're free from the Ten Commandments, amen? We are. We are free from all the law. We don't have to obey the law. And these, these, um, these scribes and Pharisees who, who tested Jesus represented the law. They were the keepers of the law. And so he's, he waited until they'd gone. It was though they, the, he was... Um, the story shows uh, ahead of time the abolition of the law. The law was gone. Except when they'd gone, there was still one left without sin who could have thrown that stone. Jesus remained. The one left who could have, and he chose to not condemn. He chose because he knew he was going to, in short time, pay the price for that sin. He took that punishment, that death on the cross. So he could say that. And, and then he also says something impossible. I don't know if you've considered this. He said to the woman, go and sin no more. Have you considered how impossible that is? Go and sin no more. Yet when he said that to the paralyzed man, that parallel, not he said, get up, take your bed and walk home. That man did it. And when he says to the woman, go and sin, he's not only giving a command, he's giving power. He's giving power. Because after the resurrection, for those who believe, believe there's the end of the law and the end of sin. Jesus came to rescue us from our sins to abolish sin in sinful man. Can you get your head around that? I can't, but he did. And so he'd, he, in these two stories, he, he kind of, there's a preview of after the cross where he says, sins will be forgiven, the law will be abolished, and the power of sin will be broken. And I want to, I want to read those and relate them to, back to the, this, this message of repentance we see in Second Chronicles where it says, turn from your wicked ways. Because 
I was considering as I was preparing that this is Old Testament. How impossible it was for them to turn from their wicked ways. Because they were under the law. Yeah? They, these guys were under the law. Now, the law is very strict. It's quite strict. If you disobey, the New Testament teaches, if you disobey one aspect of the law, you've broken it all. Yeah? Now, if you read in Deuteronomy 28, there are a whole list of blessings for obedience, followed by a whole list of curses for disobedience. And this was, if, this is basic. if you obey the law, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. We would call that, these days, the carrot and the stick. Uh, in in uh, I've got a friend who works with companies trying to improve the way they work. And he says most companies work with what they call behavior modification. So they give you an incentive, a carrot, to change. And what happens in that company, It cha people change. The employees change the way they do things because they've got incentives. Guess what happens when those incentives are taken away? Everybody just goes back to what they were doing before. Because you've modified the behavior, but you haven't changed the heart. That's the problem with the law. There is in the law some rules, and they're good rules. And if we could obey them, then we would be blessed. Life would be good. And the New Testament never says that the law is bad. He says the problem with the law is that our hearts are sinful. And so I don't know how that those guys in, the, in <coughs> Second Chronicle could uh, turn from their wicked ways. I just want to apply it to us. How can we turn from our wicked ways? The answer is we can't. We cannot turn from our wicked ways on our own. But just as um, Jesus told a paralyzed man to do the impossible, and he did it, Jesus can tell us to turn from our sins and give us power to do it. And he does it, firstly, by abolishing the law. So the law's gone. The trouble with the law is not that it's bad. The trouble is with the law is we're sinful and we can't keep it. So the law is like a measure. It's like a measure. So when we pray and we and we say, have I prayed enough? The answer is always no. Has anybody ever thought, I think I've prayed enough? Anybody thought that? And when we humble ourselves, how humble is enough? Anybody humble enough? Of course, if you were humble enough, you wouldn't put your hand up. <laughs> Has anybody sought God enough? No. Has anybody turned away from their sins completely? And the trouble with that we've not quite arrived at, this verse, if my people will do these things, then God will do these things. It's very clear. 
It's like a computer program. If you're a computer programmer, you might know there's uh, a thing called an if-then phrase. If these conditions are fulfilled, then this will happen. And it's very clear. And it's very clear that we will never fulfill those conditions. Yeah? Because it's not like, oh, what's the pass mark? What was the pass mark at school for your a, a, uh, 45, although it's 40. But that doesn't work with, with whatever it is. With, with, with God, it's 100%. You're a sinner or you're, or you're righteous. So we're in trouble. But actually, the conditions have been fulfilled by Jesus. But for us, the law is taken away. So the measure of how much we've prayed, how much we've said, is taken away. Because, and then the other thing that's happened is, Jesus has fulfilled that perfectly. And on the cross, he, he, he banished the law. But what he did for us is, it says in, it talks in Romans 5 about the free gift of righteousness. So the law is like this. If you fully, fully fulfill, if you compl- uh, <laughs> fulfill the law completely and perfectly, then God will declare you righteous, all right, accepted. If you fail on any point, you failed. But and, and you, you're not righteous. You're a sinner. In Romans 5, it says that God gives us the free gift of righteousness. Those who believe are given the gift of righteousness. Anybody here righteous? Anybody else? Two, three? We are righteous. Have you ever, have you ever said to anybody or heard somebody say, I'm not in a good place with God. Anybody said, said that? Yeah? Shall we just, just go around the room and, and, and say, are you in a good place with God on a, on a score of 1 to 10? Shall we do that? <laughs> no! No, don't like that idea? Okay. I'll tell you my score. 10. Because I'm seated with Christ, that's quite a good place. I'm totally righteous by the free gift of God. How I've done this week, that's not the question. Am I in a good place with God? You know, to the thing that, that kind of trips us up with turning from our wicked ways is we think that our position depends on our performance. It doesn't. Our position with God depends on His performance, Jesus. He freely gave us righteousness. He handed it on a plate. Is it fair? Is it fair that somebody who's had a terrible week has been really and deliberately sinful and evil is forgiven, and somebody else who's been, has read the Bible every day, prayed every day, really tried to be uh, righteous, is in the same position? Is it fair? Well, it's not it's not fair to those people. I tell you what's fair to both of those. Hell is fair. Yeah? Hell is fair to each of us because that's what we earned. The wages of sin is 
death. Not, it's not partial death for really good people and a bit more death. It's death. It's black and white. We are dead, condemned to sin. But what the law was about is this. It's not, the law is to confirm that we are sinners. It seems like, oh, if we do that, I'll be righteous. But the point of the law, as the New Testament says, is it's just to prove that we are sinful. That that's not God rubbing it in. It is showing that we need a saviour, and he's provided a saviour. And he gives us a free gift of righteousness. Is it fair? Yes. It's fair to Jesus, because Jesus bought that. And so by putting our faith in Jesus, not in any good we can do, then we are declared righteous by the free gift of God. Have I had a good week with God this week on a one to ten? Well, maybe two, maybe nine. Who knows? Am I in a good place with Jesus? Ten, because it didn't depend on me. And also, it takes away the law. My position with Christ doesn't depend on whether I ever read my Bible again or ever pray again. I've put my faith in Jesus. So if you've not read your Bible this week, it's enough. If you've not prayed this week, it's enough in terms of your position with Jesus. You see, we don't, there's this whole motivation of incentives uh, to change behavior is a really poor way of changing people's behavior. We've got to be changed from within. So God gives us a new heart. He says he puts to death the old man, and we're raised again in new life with a new heart. And so we don't have to pray. We don't have to read the Bible. We get to pray. We get to read the Bible because we want to. You know what? <coughs> I read, uh, I don't know why I was reading this. It was some article on the internet about um, how people are motivated, I don't know what it was, was fitness or weight loss or whatever, but they were saying different techniques of motivating people. And it was quite complicated, but it, they simplified it in the end by this phrase. They said, in the end, people do what they want. It's true, isn't it? You can be motivated. You do a program. In the end, if you want to eat, if you want to eat um, donuts, you're going to eat donuts. And so God needs to change our heart and our desire. And the biggest pro the problem is when we try and put ourselves under law again. Yeah? Who likes being told what to do? <laughs> no? Nobody. The Bible even says that the law produces uh, a negative reaction. It said, I didn't know what it was to covet until the law told me not to covet. And all sorts of covetous feelings rose up within me. That's the trouble with the law. It's intended to put us on the right track. In the end, it takes us off. Anybody found that? So I want to declare to you that you are free from the law. You don't ever have to read your Bible again, or pray again. But you can do if you want. And if you let God change your heart, you'll want to. But when you're told you have to, then it's a, it's a trap. 
Let me read this uh, book. This is, I'd recommend this book. It's called God's Lavish Grace by Terry Virgo. It's not a new one. It's quite old. In Romans 5.17, Paul speaks of the great prospect of our reigning in life. Similar promises are that Christ will always lead us in triumph, 2 Corinthians 2, and that we are overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. These exciting phrases describe the normal Christian life. However, they often leave us feeling condemned rather than encouraged, knowing that we fall terribly short of what is promised. Often we are brought face to face with the fact that we are hardly reigning in life. Too often we feel we are losers rather than winners, overruled rather than reigning, at the mercy of depression and dejection and the sense of unworthiness before God. In fact, let's face it, condemned. Does anybody feel that ever? If only I could reign in life is what we feel. Sometimes we are brought to a spiritual crisis in our lives, maybe at a special event when we are exposed to a very searching sermon. But once again we repent, asking God for mercy, and if our response is wholehearted, we may even follow through with fresh determination. Sometimes we face this at the beginning of a new year, when after a year of being in the spiritual doldrums, we embrace the challenge of a fresh January the 1st. Maybe someone has given us a new diary for Christmas. Every page is virgin white and unspoiled. We haven't yet wrecked this new year or any day of it. If only I could do better. If only I could reign in life. If only I could be a conqueror. Why can't I be a winner and not a loser? Sadly, at this very moment, many Christians take a step which is rooted in a genuine aspiration to do better, but actually is a sad step through the wrong door along a wrong path. Forgetting to read what the text actually says about reigning in life, we tend to set ourselves targets to live by as though that was the secret. We might choose to set our alarm clock one hour earlier in the morning and determine that we will pray more fervently and in a more disciplined way. We might then think that this year I will read my Bible right through from cover to cover. I will start new reading plan. Furthermore, I shall witness to one person each day. I make it my resolve. I must do better. If I can only obey these rules that I set myself, I can learn to reign in life. If only I could live by these laws, life would be different. You may even enjoy a few good days before January has reached double figures. The very laws you have set yourself are turning on you to condemn you that you are already a few days behind in your Bible reading and that, you have only, that you've slept through your prayer time or even knelt but found no motivation, no sense of fellowship with God and only a dreadful feeling of anguish that you don't really know how to pray. Your spiritual endeavors seem to make you feel even more disqualified since they bring you no joy. Where on earth have you gone wrong? Why is it so difficult to live the Christian life? One of your problems is that you did not look closely at the text that promises that you will reign in life. It does not actually speak about your spiritual work rate or your personal endeavor. It certainly does not speak about imposing laws upon yourself to help you pick yourself up by your own shoelaces. Rather the opposite. It tells you that through receiving the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, you reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. You reign in life by receiving abundant grace, not by putting yourself under laws. I, I want to declare to you that you're free from any law and you are free to follow 
the word, the spirit that God's put in your heart because God has given you a new heart. We need to trust God and his new creation within us, not our own efforts. It's not by, it's not by uh, law. It's by the gift of grace that we come to God. It's not by our own works, but by faith in God, not by our uh, self-effort, by the spirit within us. How does this relate to the verse I'm supposed to be preaching? Because um, it says, turn from your wicked ways, repent. And what I'm trying to show you is that of ourselves, repentance is impossible, that we need, as it says in Hebrews, we need to uh, repent from dead works and have faith in God. When we turn away from sin, it's not just enough to turn away from sin. We've got to turn to God. It's, that's where we've got to go. But Hebrews, in Hebrews it says, repentance from dead works. But actually, one translation is useless rituals. We've been free from useless rituals that we think can bring us to God because it's only Jesus that can bring us to God. Do you ever find yourself in a ritual and you think, there's no life in this to me? Do you know, uh, last, I think it was last Sunday uh, in Hereford and CLC, I just felt, God, I'm going through the motions with a lot of my Christian life. I, I, I need, I know again, I just reminded God, I need a Savior every day. Praise God, we have a Savior every day that saves us, that is the one that inspires us, one that makes our Christian life joyful. But there is also another one who lies to us every day, that tells us every day you're not quite doing enough, you're not quite humble enough or seeking God enough. And we've got to say, yeah, you're right, but Jesus has done enough and there's where I'm putting my faith. So, when we say turn from our wicked ways, repentance in the New Testament is to change our minds. That's what it means in the New Testament. Yes, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Sin doesn't, I'm not saying sin doesn't matter. Sin always matters to God. But to overcome sin, we've got to turn to God and receive the new heart that He's given us. So, yeah, we're going to turn from our wicked ways, but we're not going to measure whether we've done it sufficiently because we're putting our faith in God. And we're going to, so we're not trying to meet a measure. We're cooperating and trying to align us with Jesus and live the life he's already lived by living a humble life, by seeking God, by praying, by turning from our wicked ways. But we're not going to be measured on that. We're trying to align. We are completely justified by God, 100% righteous. We're not perfect yet. The process of that is sanctification, and we're not there yet. But that doesn't, that, that's not what God's measuring on us. If he measured on that, I'll tell you when revival is coming, never. But Jesus has bought revival for us. So yeah, let's join in the process that Jesus went through of humbling himself, of praying, of seeking God, and, and well, he didn't turn from wicked ways. He never entered them. But let's follow Jesus with all our heart. But let's not measure ourselves. To th you, you know, that's condemning ourselves. Amen. I want to I pray. I really want to, I really, I do, as I 
experienced many years of Christian life and talking to people and experienced things myself and reading it in the Word, I know that tendency go to, is always to go back to a law-based Christianity where we feel we've done enough. It always pulls us back. And if that's where you're at, I want to pray. Uh, really, freedom. You are free. Father, pray by your Spirit you would set us free from any tendency in our hearts and minds to, to feel we have to earn our salvation, earn your love, earn your acceptance when you've already given it free. I pray that we would be freed by that knowledge so that we um, can seek you and pray and read our Bible out of a motivation uh, from our hearts, not an imposition that we ought to. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your freedom. I pray that if anybody is struggling, that you would release them by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.